Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's start with a quiz. So the PBS website has graced us with a quiz to see which Sanditon character we are. We could not resist taking this quiz. And here are our answers. Yolanda, who did you get? I got Georgiana. Your friends and loved ones have probably told you that you are a one-of-a-kind person. You're not afraid to stand up for your beliefs. Despite having faced many adversities in your life, you haven't lost your spirit. Do you feel you're taking on Georgiana's spirit? Yeah, I thought I was like, oh, this is pretty good. (laughs) I love when a quiz just tells you who you are. (laughs) Our roles kind of go together very nicely because I got Charlotte. You'll always stand up for what's right and stand by your friends and your loved ones. You are always determined to prove to them that you can do anything you put your mind to. I feel like that's accurate for you. Yeah, I feel like both of us have kind of like gotten the the spirit of our characters. Yes. This week, we're going to be talking about Sanditon Season 3, Episode 4. We will be discussing the events leading up to Georgiana's victory party, a blossoming secret romance, and the scandal that's sure to rock Sanditon. We'll also get into the historical details on homosexuality and queerness in the 19th century England and girls' education in Regency England. A quick recap of where we're at in the Sanditon universe. Georgiana has won her case and her fortune. She has now won her freedom, but did the highly publicized case cost her her anonymity? Charlotte and Colburn's feelings for one another have been rekindled, and Colburn makes a passionate declaration of love for Charlotte, who turns him down. Brutal. It was hard to watch because it was kind of like an Uno reverse from the last. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not quite because it's like, very, like you know, they're on the cliff. It's very dramatic and the sea is behind them and the wind is whipping her hair and his hair and everyone's hair. And he's like, I love you and I want you. And she basically said, I've made a promise to Ralph. I have chosen this life and I'm going through with it. I think Charlotte just needs to avoid that cliff. And I think she needs to avoid <laughs> carriages. She just had not good luck in either of those locations. You're 100% correct. And I'm glad that we nailed down the real problem yes. in Sanditon, which are these locations and these settings, rather than the people who are doing the breaking yes. of hearts. So let's get into the first event of the episode, where we focus on Arthur Parker And Harry Montrose, here's the spoiler up top. They're in love. We know that Harry is gay, Georgiana caught on, and so they kind of have a little fake courtship going on here in order to protect both of them from those who would otherwise wish to marry them for nefarious purposes. But Harry has sort of noticed similar inclinations in Arthur, and Mm -hmm. so they had a very coded and encrypted conversation In which Harry was like, a lot of men like pheasant. I like grouse. Do you also like grouse? And Arthur was just stunned and left. At this point, they're both avoiding each other or they're both assuming that they're avoiding each other because Arthur did run away. And so it's a very overwhelming thing where I think even Harry is being very cautious of like how to reapproach Arthur. They had formed this friendship first. So they're both still friends. They want to still be friends and they don't know what that means yet to like to be in each other's life. Exactly. So, you know, they both reapproach each other and they're like, hey, are you avoiding me? No, I thought you were avoiding me. And they're both relieved to see that 
they're not avoiding each other. It's just they they've got this thing between them now. And so they go on a walk again on the wind sea swept <laughs> cliffs of Sanditon. And so while taking a, a walk on the beach, Arthur confesses that when Harry said what he said about liking grouse, he put into words something that Arthur had not been able to even describe his whole life. I, Arthur Parker, like grouse. <laughs> As do I, <laughs> One grouse in particular. But he also is really afraid of what people might think of him. I mean, he's basically been this very single entity and people have been like, oh, Arthur's just, you know, he's just not going to get married. He's the little brother. He likes planning events. It's just, mm-hmm. like his whole thing. This is the first time he's ever encountered knowingly another queer man and they're good friends and they're probably more than good friends on the horizon and they just, they don't know what their relationship looks like. Harry actually makes a proposal of his own between them which is that they will go off together and visit a friend's remote cabin in Wales where they can be alone together for weeks at a time. Obviously, in secret, away from everyone, no one could ever know. It's something that really lights up Arthur because he's like, oh, I didn't even think we could explore this. I thought like I would just have to like live with this secret forever. And I think he's still putting words to it. He's still trying to identify what this means for himself and his identity. They're English, you know, no one like <laughs> acts on their feelings. And there have been secret romances in Sanditon. And it's a big part of all Austin novels. And, you know, I think they happened in real life. But the one that makes their relationship different is that it's illegal. This mm-hmm. is actually a very high stakes romance. And, you know, Arthur's just so sweet and he's so innocent. He wants to know more about his feelings for this guy, this really special guy. You know, homophobia is kind of an unspoken member of this relationship. Yeah. But bless Arthur and Harry, they're kind of not even letting that in yet. You know, Arthur got a book on the wildlife in Wales (laughs) on this river that they're going to be staying by. He's, He's looking forward to a staycation with his best friend where they can really see where this goes. And a really big damper gets put on that when Harry has a conversation with his mother, Lady Montrose, where, like, the thing that I feel like we, is, like, mentioned, but isn't mentioned in the, in the way that it should be, is that Harry is a duke. And I'll be totally honest, we're Americans. A title sounds very fancy. Right. I don't know exactly what it means. Other than the fact that, and based on our watching of the first season of Bridgerton, yeah. <laughs> it means he's got this grand estate and he has an obligation to get married and produce an heir. Lady Montrose has this conversation with Harry where she said, you have this obligation. You need to think about your family and your legacy and not just who you love right now. She implies that she knows about his sexual preferences and she's very aware. She actually implies what the true stakes of this are where she says it's you could ruin the family name or worse like this is something you could be killed for i mean i think this was something that they had very very lightly set up for arthur i would say even in season one but they were not exploring it at all so it, it is great to see that they did finally explore it within this season and even having arthur name it for himself. Um, so I do like that he has this almost guide in Harry to understand like 
what is the path for this? Or even like, how do you understand these feelings? So he's as much Arthur's guide as like our guide and like what this means in this world at this time. Yeah, well, no, Arthur is very naive. I think about last season, how he had very special feelings for Lockhart, the artist yeah. who was trying to deceive Georgiana. And, and he was actively looking to seduce her for marriage reasons. Part of me wonders if he kind of got that Arthur was gay and he was kind of being nice to him so that he would really like him and also say nice things to Georgiana about him. I think so. I think you're right. I think Lockhart quickly identified that, took advantage of Arthur and really played up like yeah. charming him and, and wooing him in a way so that he would really kind of stand back and, and let the Georgiana courtship or whatever was happening happen. I feel like it's the first crush that we've seen Arthur have. Yeah. And it was, com I mean, it was completely non-reciprocated yeah. because he was just playing everyone like an upright bass. <laughs> but Harry is friends with Arthur and he cares about him and he knows sort of the rules of how they can be seen or not. Let's transition into the history of gay subculture in 19th century England. And of course, this is a very brief overview. As far as British law was concerned, they were trying to ban male homosexuality. Oh. Male homosexuality was a pretty open secret. People's opinions would range from completely indifferent to extremely homophobic. So, you know, you still had that spectrum exist at various points throughout history. Homosexuality was decriminalized in England in 19. 67 when both of my parents were alive <laughs> and and that's when they passed the sexual offenses act of 1967 in parliament but it was punishable by death until 1861 i mean it was a really big deal and so molly houses were a popular sort of way around uh these laws and they were basically secret clubs that would just take place anywhere and they were bars or they were just like open secret areas where you could drink and dance and just kind of enjoy yourselves um, if you were gay or bisexual or queer and you could just sort of exist in this space safely. Unfortunately, these places were subject to raids a lot. Like people would tip off the police and oh. it, it actually happened in the, the first Downton Abbey movie. They, uh, one of the characters is gay and he goes to a Molly house and they're dancing and like it's raided by police. And it's a really big deal because they mm. would publish your name in the paper. Oh God. Oh yeah, it was, it was horrible. So these are the stakes that we're dealing with yeah. for Arthur and Harry's romance. With that, let's go into the next event in the episode, and that is Tea with Colburn and Ralph Starling. So one of the background events that has also been happening is Tom Parker is working with an investor. They're trying to expand Sanditon and potentially looking to destroy the old town, which is where many of the working class live. Mary Parker is very passionate about keeping old town as it is or even improving it. Mary is at a point where she's like, my own husband is not listening to me. I need to go to someone else to really hear out my plan. She has set up a meeting with Colburn to discuss her plan. And because she knows that Charlotte is also passionate about young girls' education and, and saving Old Town, she's like, why don't you just come with me? Just come with me and it'll be fine. And we'll get to talk to him about it because you're so passionate about it. So Charlotte is like, 
okay, <laughs> I guess I'll go. And Ralph Starling is still with her. Ralph is like, yeah, I guess I'll go too. And I'll meet your former employer, even though they've met. I don't know why he says that. But you know, then they go and we're getting little insights into how Ralph sees what their marriage will be and what their life will be in Willingdon. And the idea that Charlotte would take up a teacher job. He's like, but you're going to be so busy educating our kids. Like we're going to have so many kids and you're going to have so much responsibility in maintaining our household. Like how like would you take another job? It's like, again, like the difference in what they both think married life will be like for the both of them. I have been very pro Ralph Starling because he has not stomped all over Charlotte's heart and brought <laughs> his ridiculous baggage into the room and rejected her. I like him for being just a simple farm boy who just, you know, wants to marry Charlotte. But this is the first time I've been like, oof, no, this can't yeah. happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not even just for, oh, she doesn't, like, forget about the fact that she doesn't love him and that she's doing this to escape her miserable life in Sanditon. We don't know anything about what she wants, how many kids she wants. Does she want kids? Does she want to be a teacher or a governess or whatever after she continues to wed? We don't know these things because he hasn't asked her. I also would just like to award once again for the third straight season, the prize for the worst man in Sanditon to Tom Parker, <laughs> because I was thinking about this the other day, how he gets into the biggest financial messes you could possibly imagine without fail. Every season, he has this good heart and he's a good man and he is obsessed with his wife most of the time. And then he just lets his ego take the wheel of his wallet and his morals. He is now taking the cake for being the worst version of the worst of himself by displacing the working class of Sanditon. Yeah, and the point of that is really just for the king, but also to attract high profile people with titles and bringing more people to Sanditon. But it's interesting because he has, for the most part, always taken Mary's opinion into mind and, and really sees how much she cares for the town as well. I mean, they uprooted their whole life for because of his ambition, because he wanted to establish this new town. And as we've seen season over season, it's getting more established and there's more people there and they have like a real town. But at this point now where his ambitions are going, she cannot support that. So now we get to this tea where Charlotte is at a table with all these people in her life that are very important to her. You have Colburn, the man who has confessed feelings for her. You have the uh, the children, Leonora and Augusta there too. You have Mary Parker and you have Ralph. So all these people in her life now of like different parts of her life, you know, like from her hometown, from Sanditon, from her employer are now all intersecting in a very interesting way. <laughs> and I would like to add, Colburn is like kind of courting Lady Lydia, who right. is Harry Montrose's sister. I mean, so she and her mother are there having tea. So like his date <laughs> and his date's mother are right. also at this table, just for good measure of awkwardness. That's right. So Mary didn't actually set time with <laughs> with Colburn oh. to really discuss this. She was like, we're just gonna march on over there. And we're gonna tell him our plan. And this is gonna be great. And they are interrupting tea with Lady Lydia, Lady Montrose and Colburn. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this whole scene is, you know, Leo is so excited to see Charlotte and then there's Ralph and he's there and she doesn't say this exactly, but basically is like, this is the guy you're marrying him. <laughs> this guy really is the reason you're leaving Sanditon. 
poor Ralph is just like, yes, young child, I'm the lucky guy who gets to marry Charlotte. And I feel like Leonora's like, well, yeah, of course you're lucky. But what about Charlotte's needs? So what do we what do we think of all of this? I think it's a little bit of a wake up call for Charlotte to understand like what her life is actually going to look like when she returns to Willingdon. I think maybe part of her wasn't ready to give up the kind of work or job aspirations that she really kind of let herself believe because what at the point where she had kind of resigned herself to and I'm never going to get married and I'm just going to work much like Kate Sharma in Bridgerton season two, she was like, this is my life, never going to get married, I'm just going to work as a governess and that'll be fine. But now, yes, she is going to get married and she kind of has to, at least for Charlotte, she's realizing, oh, I'm going to have to let the teacher job or governess job dream die. I don't think she realizes like she doesn't want to give that up yet. She has not a single reason to keep her in Sanditon anymore. Right. Little things just keep popping up and she's like, but Mary Parker needs me, but this person needs yeah. me, but that person. Like so many people actually really depend on Charlotte in Sanditon. And that's kind of nice because she's become such like an integral part of this town. But also Ralph is like, but you're also an integral part in Willingdon. Like you need to come back now. <laughs> she wants this life. She yeah. wants to stay here. And she wants, I think she kind of wants to figure it out. And, and she's always known that she doesn't love Ralph, but she is just so sick of the heartbreak that Colburn and Sidney Parker before him have caused her that, you know, she can't really stand to be around them, even though, you know, she still loves Colburn's girls. She still loves Augusta yeah. and Leonora. She still loves and cares about and wants to help everybody. I feel like she's trying to find other people to be her reason to stay in Sanditon. Yeah. And the real reason is that she loves it here and she feels like she's a part of the community and she wants to stay. And yeah. because she's English, she's not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> she can't pick herself at this point. So speaking of girls not choosing themselves or choosing themselves, whatever you want to look at it, we're going to dive into another historical overview of girls' education in Regency England. Boys, especially upper class boys, had a pretty formal education. I mean, think about what we grew up with, where we went to school and we did our homework and we did stuff. This kind of education, this formal education of reading, writing, history, math, science, that only existed for boys. And so as a girl, your education, I mean, similar with boys, it varied largely on how much money your family had. But even if you were rich, your education could be pretty informal. Like you were never gonna learn, you know, math and science and, and history and, and English the way that boys would be taught. But your education would usually be at home. So if you were of a lower class, your mother would be your teacher. And so your knowledge was pretty much whatever she knew and whatever mm. she was able to teach you. If you were more of an upper class girl, families could afford a governess or they could afford various teachers to come to your house and, and teach you how to do these things. There were technically such a thing as boarding schools or day schools, but those were a little bit unusual and they were usually run by spinsters or older widows, like, you know, women sort of <laughs> in similar positions to Charlotte where they didn't have anything to do with their time and, and they opened something. It really wasn't all that common. You were usually educated at home. So this idea that Charlotte had that she brought up to Mary about having a school in Sanditon for boys and girls was pretty radical because there wasn't really any such thing as a co-educational institution. It just really wasn't done. So it's pretty out there. 
so let's dive into the last big event of this episode, which is Georgiana's victory celebration. So after Harry Montrose got that lecture from his mother, he decides, I'm going to propose to Georgiana, and she accepts. Because they also both know this benefits them both. Georgiana has been getting tons and tons of proposals and letters or people trying to claim that they're some kind of relative. So she's like, you know what, I'm going to put a stop to all those letters and just get engaged. This solves her problem. And for Harry, his mother is expecting him to get married and produce an heir. So this solves his problem. Neither are going to admit that they're not happy about it, but it is what it is. And word gets back to our of their engagement and he is now devastated. We see him with that book of the birds and whales and you know he's so excited and now it's it, that dream has died and you know he thinks like it's over for them. It's very much a marriage of convenience because yeah. Georgiana really is like there's no one that she loves right now and she would so we think. Yeah. She really wants these fortune hunters to get off her back. Another thing she's going to gain from marrying Harry is a title and yeah. that just feels like like I said I don't really know the ins and outs of what you get as a duchess, but it sounds like a pretty cushy thing to have. I mean, she's been an heiress for so long, I feel like people respected her already, so to be a duchess, I mean, who's who's gonna stop her now? Duchess <laughs> Georgiana, that's like a, it's got a nice ring to it. Yeah. Um, no, but Arthur is quietly devastated. I mean, his lip is quivering in the middle of this. And it's got to be a really confusing feeling for him because he loves Georgiana. He loves Harry. But he knows that, like, they're not really going to love each other in the way that he loves Harry. And I think he thinks it's really unfair. It's really unfair that his two best friends should be married to each other. And like, where does that leave room for him? Another aspect of the story here that we've, that's kind of been in the background and now has really bubbled up into something major that's going to take over. Edward Denham has been quietly seducing Augusta Markham. Augusta is set to make £5,000 a year, so pretty convenient for Edward Denham, who has currently zero dollars. I mean, that's Bingley money right yes. there. <laughs> He has been writing her secret letters and they've been communicating in this actually pretty cute romantic way. But it's now at a point where Edward knows Colburn is never going to approve of this. He actually told Edward, you cannot court Augusta. But Augusta's like, but this is like the love of my life. Like I want to be with him. And so she is pretty torn because Edward proposes that they elope, that they get married. And because like, who is ever going to deny their true love sort of thing? So Augusta is a little bit like, what do I do? Because they're supposed to leave that night, leave everything behind, not even pack anything. And so she turns to Charlotte for advice. She's like, I can't tell you who or what or the circumstances, but what would you say if you wanted to be with someone and people were telling you that it's not possible? Charlotte, not knowing who she's talking about, does give her the advice of like, follow your heart. Follow Just, your dreams. It's so yes. important. No, yes. it's not. <laughs> yes. I mean, if she knew it was Edward Denham, no way she would give this advice. She'd be mm -hmm. like, follow your heart, except when it's Edward Denham. Do not follow your heart anywhere. We have seen Edward behind the scenes as like a Bond villain, like, ha 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 ha, my plan, my evil plan is working. And we are supposed to see some genuine change in him. So I really feel like the show is trying to make us believe it is possible that his feelings for her are real. I think it's equal part deception and he's actually maybe falling for her. The vibes it gives me is, I'm thinking back to the last season when Lockhart approached Georgiana at a ball and yeah. he said, I'm going to the continent tomorrow. I can't stand 
stand to be away from you. You have to be with me. And I mean, how romantic is it to elope and be whisked away and have this secret romance, especially what? She's like 16 years old, 16 to 18 years old. Augusta, yeah. Augusta. Yeah. So this is all very romantic and it's all very, you know, she's being swept off her feet as far as she knows. And and she's all for this. She's all for defying her grumpy uncle. And we're left to wonder, does Edward actually have her best interests at heart. What do you think? No. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've seen time and time again his inability to really change. I think if he were genuine, he would not be trying to go about this route as like the first option. I think he would need to really show that he's reformed and really changed and prove that to Colburn because what? He tried once going to Colburn to be like, I want to court your niece. He said no, and he did not try again. So I think if he were actually interested in Augusta, he would have tried to go about this the proper way. But no, he was like, I'm not going to deal with multiple steps. I'm just going to go straight to elopement. I completely agree. I don't think Edward doesn't know how to scheme. Yeah, I think I, so. I think I it's think ingrained it's, into him. It's yeah. the only way he knows how. I think he sort of doesn't know how to do the right thing, and he doesn't really know how to do right by anyone. And so he was like, well, I tried. Yep. Time to do the thing that I know best, which <laughs> is to scheme. That's right. I think he, he checked off the box of like, well, try to do it the right way, and I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> yep. So we're in Georgiana's party. She's like, everyone step outside to see the fireworks. That's their escape. That's when they run away. And Colburn, it does not take him long to be like, where is Augusta? Hmm, where is Edward Denham? Meanwhile, Ralph is pulling Charlotte aside. He wanted to leave earlier that day. And she was like, please, I've been invited to this party. Let's go. I promise we can leave right afterwards. And he was like, okay. So like the party is winding down and he pulls her aside after a conversation between Charlotte and Georgiana, which by the way, you know, just as Georgiana's like, you don't even love Ralph. There he is <laughs> standing there. And he's like, okay, well, it's time to leave and go get married now in a couple of weeks. And then that right there is when Colburn and his brother burst in and they're like, where's Augusta? You have to know where she is. And she's like, I have no idea. He's like, she has run away with Edward Denham. It's very Lydia and Wickham breaking news. We got to find these people. Charlotte tells Ralph, I swear this is the last thing I'll ever ask you for. Just let me help. Augusta's honor is at stake. You you don't want Augusta's honor to be at stake, do you? Like once again, she's sort of making it about other people. None of these people mean anything to Ralph. He's like, cool, there's a whole village back at home who also need our help. And you like are so much more interested in the people here. But he's being so accommodating and being like, fine, this is the last thing. This is the last thing. No, this is the last thing. And at a certain point, this this guy just needs to wake up and be like, there's never going to be a last thing. She's always just going to want to be here. And I mean, he can see her choosing all of these people over her fiance, but he's, what's he going to do? You know, she's married to a very exciting cosmopolitan woman. And so Charlotte takes off with Colburn. So we pretty much leave it at Charlotte is whisked off into the night by the Colburn brothers. They take off to look for Augusta and that's all we see there. Another couple of things just to wrap up all all the many characters that are having their living their lives in Sanditon. Lady Denham and Rowley Price have a bit of a history together. And in this episode, he proposes marriage to her and she accepts. So we've got some nice, fun love. It's like not an advantageous marriage for her at all because she loses her title. 
But again, like they have history. So she's like, why not? We'll see where this goes. Yeah, what's she doing? Who, yeah. <laughs> who's she waiting for? Yeah. There's a lot going on. I think the biggest thing that's kind of been stretched and about to break is Ralph and Charlotte, because I think they're both seeing the areas in which they're not willing to compromise on with each other. They're not willing to like work through things. So I'm not sure how much longer that's going to last. Things are kind of coming to a head here. We're getting to that point in the season where things are being disrupted. I think Edward Denham is so full of crap. (laughs) I don't think he's changed at all. I think he's not being as outwardly malicious about his plans as he has been in the past because he's dealing with a literal teenager. I just, I can't get over the fact that she's basically a teenager. Yeah, she is. And he has a very receding hairline, has (laughs) impregnated at least one woman that we know of and not taken responsibility for that child until... He learned that that child could, in fact, inherit the Denim fortune where he never can. I have to say, like, he's been a consistent villain throughout this series, so he's just doing his villain thing. I will say, I wish we had more Esther Babington in this and Lord Babington. I miss them. (laughs) Esther never would have let any of this happen. No, if she was still in town, she would have caught him and she would have prevented all of this. But now at this point... Augusta and Edward have fled and they are gonna get eloped. So we'll see how that turns out. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as we discuss Sanditon Season 3, Episode 5. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and support us on Patreon at The Pemberley. And you can email us with questions or comments at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.